Welcome to The Ferment, everyone. We hope that everyone is holding up okay during these challenging times. To keep our team at Brown Family Wine Group engaged and linked into what is happening at the winery, we are introducing our brand new winery update podcasts. We'll be getting real-time information on what is and will be coming into our wineries and getting it out to you, our loyal Ferment listeners. Please enjoy The Ferment Winery Updates. Okay, everyone, we're back with another vintage update, and uh, we're here with Tom and Caroline. Caroline, how are you getting on? I'm good, thanks, Harry. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm back out in Shed 3. Yeah, it's starting to, uh, I think a little bit the COVID thing starting to get to me a bit, you know, just being cooped up at home. But one of the benefits that I've found is that I'm actually getting really good at cooking. You know, generally when I'm traveling, I don't get to sort of spend a lot of time cooking. So some of the dishes that are coming out of the Harris household kitchen are starting to impress. So that's a nice little upside of what's been going on. What's the specialty? Oh, I did a dish the other night, which was fantastic. It was a pork sausage pasta with a little bit of... Um, yeah, a little bit of tomato sauce, some mushroom, olives, capers, chili. With a, we actually got some homemade spaghetti from the um, restaurant, the Watermark Restaurant here in Wangaratta, and so used that as the pasta. When I was cooking it, and this is yeah, this is why it was so good because I was drinking 1889 rosé while I was cooking it, and then with the pasta I had the tempranillo, Origins tempranillo, so a fantastic combination as well. Yeah, if you can get in two bottles of wine in one cooking session, then you're definitely having a successful night, hey? I, <laughs> let's just say I wasn't on my own. <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, funny you speak of cooking. So this is big news in the Brown family. Ross and Judy have learned how to use Zoom. So they're very excited about it. We've decided to run a little bit of a Brown family cooking competition and it's happening tonight. So I think it was sort of with the reintroduction of MasterChef recently, we got all a little bit excited. So Emma's set up this competition. Someone chose a herb, someone chose a vegetable, someone chose a meat and someone chose a carbohydrate. And then all the ingredients were sent out and we had a week to go and buy them. And now tonight's the night that we have to cook. Gee, so I went, Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I woke up early this morning and started prepping because I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then what's so, the process tonight? So everyone cooks their little bit and then you do a big reveal? Is that the... Yes, everyone has to participate in each household. So poor Tim has to actually cook. Usually he says he's the underwater ceramic detailer. So very good at cleaning up at the end of the night. <laughs> but yeah, we all have to cook and then we meet on Zoom at 7.30pm and do a big reveal and explain what we've cooked and it scored on number one, which is most important, best wine and food match, and then perceived deliciousness. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone says you eat with your eyes, so yeah, just, exactly. that's, that's, that's what they're going to have to do. It all comes down to presentation, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I'll feed back next week how it goes, but I'm pretty excited and just quietly confident, just quietly. Can you give Tom and so, I a heads up of what your actually your wine and food match is going to be, or is that a secret? Well, I'll say what the wine is that I'm going to match it with. I'm actually going to do two different wines because I think this style of dish, these two wines really complement it. Number one, Sienna. Ooh. Oh. Number two, Gamay. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, hang on, what was your ingredient? So the ingredients were lamb, pumpkin, potato, and coriander. Oh, nice. Coriander, brave. Yeah, yeah. random, hey? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Sounds like the perfect roast and then you throw coriander in there and it's a bit of a <laughs> curveball. 
Oh, well, we look forward to the update uh, next time we catch up. That'll be fantastic. Okay, Any, I might um, take, some, take some photos and share them next week. And uh, Tom, how are you tracking? I mean, obviously you're caught at the winery a fair bit, but how's the cooking side of things going for you? Um, yeah, uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> takeaway cooking. <laughs> yeah, there's been a little bit of takeaway. Well, you feel as though you're supporting the community when you do that as well, which is quite good. And my partner's working from home, so one of the advantages she gets um, to cook a bit more, which she hates. So, yeah, she loves it. <laughs> yeah. One of your advantages, not hers. <laughs> uh, that's a classic. And, Tom, last time we spoke, we were somewhere around the 18,000 tonne mark. What have we gotten up to now? 18,000. Oh, yeah, sorry, 1,800. <laughs> <laughs> One extra zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel tired. Yeah, um, right. It's been a big week. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're up to... 1,870. We only had 70 tonnes to come in, so yeah, it's not exactly, it hasn't lapsed um, <laughs> since we last spoke, but yeah, we only had the Sauvignon Blanc to come in, and so we got that in on Friday and Saturday. And is that it? Is there is there more to come in, or are you pretty much done now? There's a small parcel of Pinot Noir to come in, about 15 tonnes, and then we've got some contract processing of about 200 tonnes also, which is starting tonight. Are these top secret who this is coming from? Well, it's coming from our old vineyard, White Hill, who are a bit cooler, and especially this season, quite late. So their last pick is actually in May, which I don't remember the last time we did May, maybe back when we were doing Botrytis Riesling. And Tom, is the process that we pick it, and do we make the wine for this particular company? Is that how it works? Uh, No, we're sending all the whites, we're sending off as juice. So Mm -hmm. we're just processing the fruit. The pinots, we're going through fermentation and then sending off post-ferment. And what's the weather been like? But it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> no, I've stopped caring so much about the weather, to be honest. But yeah, it's, it's been cold. <laughs> yeah. So, Tom, out of the whole vintage period, is there a particular block that you've got a little special feeling about this year or one that you'd like to tell us a little bit more about? Well, there's certainly one that I'd like to talk about a little bit more. T3 from the East Coast, which is one of our Pinot Noir blocks. It's quite a large block at seven hectares for the one clone of Pinot Noir. And we've got six different parcels at estate level, so potentially resolution in Mount Amos from this one block. What we've done is we've done a, a multiple ways of making the wine, so different levels of a whole bunch, different levels of destemmed, different ways of making the wine. So it's going to be really interesting to see how each different parcel turns out. And this is how we gain an understanding of that fruit and also how we potentially get better at what we do and make better wines in the end, I hope, is challenging ourselves by making the wines in different ways. I read a little report the other day that you've had a pretty wet season overall. How was the quality in this particular block? What did it look like coming in? Yeah, I mean, it's been one of the wettest in history, actually. But yeah, we picked our fruit, especially from the East Coast, before most of the rain. So we did well in that sense. And the fruit hadn't had much rain on it before that. So, you know, it was very clean. And I suppose, fortunately, because this year we've had very low yields as well, it was ripe and tasting great at pretty low bome. So we sort of thought, well, let's get it in and make wine out of it before we get any rain on it later on. Now, you've already said you've broken up those individual parcels and been playing around with them. Is there any more that you'd like to tell us about how you handled that fruit? coming into the winery? Yeah, I suppose a classic one for us is sort of a bin of whole bunch on the base of the fermenter and then de-stemmed on top and that we sort of call that 9% whole bunch and people always look at me funny and say why 9 and not 10 but <laughs> it just works out 9. <laughs> but that's always been a variety and a complexity of greenness at that 9-10% that works really well in our wines and that's across both vineyards actually. But we've taken that up to 16% whole bunch 
and then 24% whole bunch as well across two different parcels. So it'll be interesting to see what that does to the wines. And then in some of them, what we've done is we've tipped the bins of fruit into the bottom of the fermenter, and then we've sprinkled on some yeast. We call it just a yeast sprinkle. And then we've de-stemmed on top of that. And I think we've talked about it before, but we start to get some CO2 build up under there, which protects that hand-picked fruit and also starts to give that lovely intracellular fermentation and the interesting characters in that hand-picked fruit as well. Your favourite, yeah, Caroline. Do, yeah, no, all you need to do is drop the word leaper arms and you've dropped my three favourite words, <laughs> new words in the same sentence. Um, a couple of years ago, I talked to you about you were doing some trialling around some foot treading. Yeah. They're literally like stomping on the grapes with your feet or someone else's feet. Just wanted to confirm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not often my feet, let's <laughs> be honest. And we haven't done a lot this year. I think we actually did the first one last night. Anthony, the assistant winemaker, foot tread one of the parcels last night. Not from this T3 parcel, but yeah, we have done three of these sort of carbonic fermentations that we've talked about. Yeah, he did do a little foot tread last night. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of impact that's had. And those grapes are still fermenting at the moment. And what kind of rigorous pedicure process would Anthony go through before he starts foot treading? Oh, well, you can imagine. (laughs) You can imagine in COVID-19, you know, with all the sanitizers around at the moment that, you know, it would be meticulous. Clean a feet in Kaina. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A quick bath in sanitizer before jumping in the foot tread Pinot. (laughs) I used to actually, when I did it, be honest, I used to put down one of the header boards from the barrel. We have some of a loose one and actually just stand on that. So I wasn't directly standing on the fruit because it's not the nicest feeling between your toes, to be honest. I've gone completely off script. Just going back to talking about the fruit out in the hazard from the T2 block. Did I get that right or wrong? T3. T3. <laughs> yeah, that one. What wines is that expected to go into? What range? So they're all made in the sort of resolution Mount Amos style. Nothing sort of gets, tar- everything's targeted at Mount Amos. We'd love to make everything at that sort of price point, you know, but it's basically it's resolution and the best of the best might make a Mount Amos or nothing might make a Mount Amos depending on the season. Exciting times ahead. And now that that wine is partially made and in the winery, what's the plan for it over the next six to 12 months? Well, at the moment, it's just going to chill in the barrels and in spring, they'll warm up. They'll go through the secondary fermentation or malactic fermentation and then get cooled down until February. And in February, we'll review each component of barrels that we've got from the East Coast and we'll decide, we'll make that decision of whether they're Resolution or Mount Amos type thing. Tom, you mentioned about the Sauvignon Blanc coming in over the weekend. Is that usually the last to come into the winery? Yeah, it is. Sauvignon Blanc in general is the latest to go through bud bursts in the vineyard and then as with that, it sort of schedules out latest to go through flowering and then the latest to ripen up. And also, as naturally, Sauvignon Blanc is quite a high-yielding variety. That also pushes out that ripening time as well. And how did we handle the fruit for this sort of latest batch of Sauvignon Blanc that came in? All the Cayenne stuff was machine harvested this year. And can you tell us a bit about how you differentiate between Devil's Corner, Brown Brothers and Tamar Ridge Sauvignon Blanc? To talk about Devil's Corner and Brown Brothers individually, those wines generally come from the hazards, so they're quite different from the Tamer Ridge style. And I tend to target, I think Devil's Corner more of a, has a, more of a herbaceous lift to it, whereas the Brown Brothers is a touch riper, a touch more in that passion fruit zone. 
but it's a subtle because they are both coming from the same vineyards as well. We used to talk about the Brown Brothers as say, having more of a textural palette as well, or a richer palette, but yeah, it's a little bit different each year. Tamar Ridge is a different beast altogether. It comes from distinctly the Tamar Valley, and the fruit has a very different style or varietal characteristic about it. I see it as very much a gooseberry brightness to the fruit, not nearly the same tropical characters or probably traditional or kiwi-type characters that you see in the hazards type fruit. We use a lot of winemaking techniques to differentiate the Tamer Ridge as well. Now, Sauvignon Blanc is one of the quickest varieties from harvest through to bottle. Can you give us a bit of an idea of the timings that go into maybe Devil's Corner versus Tamar Ridge? I don't want to give out any secrets to parts of the company that might ask for these wines any earlier than they do at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but theoretically, the Devil's Corner Sauvignon Blanc could pretty much be blended post-ferment. It doesn't have any of these secondary fermentations or anything or any oak components or anything like that. So as soon as fermentation's finished, we could pretty much start blending and stabilising for bottling. So it'd just be a couple of months, really. Tamar Ridge has that time maturing in barrel, so that's usually up to six months. So, Tom, last week I think we caught you super busy. You were out of breath, puffing to come and um, meet us for the podcast. Now that everything's pretty much slowing down in terms of grapes coming in, what's the kind of process and will you start to slow down in the winery or does it just start to pick up now? No, we're certainly slowing down in the winery as of this week. We've already had a few casuals finish up and last night shift will be on Friday. From next week and probably for a couple of weeks, we'll run days and afternoons just to get through all the work. But yeah, it's certainly starting to slow down. And Tom, you've spoken a couple of times during our podcast about our optical select harvester. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that and what the benefits are? I'm by no means the expert on this. It's more of a, a vineyard one. It's Selective Harvester by a company called Palink, um, who have been making these for a while. And we've got three, so two at the Hazards and one at Cayena. What they have is they've got a series of rollers on board. And when the fruit comes in, it acts like a sorting table and destemmer in one. So all the stalks and the leaves get ejected from the fruit as it's harvesting. And basically, that's pretty good for us because, you know, the fruit from the hazards can sit in bins for anywhere from four to six hours. And when grapes interact with anything, they pick up that character. So, I mean, it's like us putting the whole bunch in our Pinot Noirs. We do that for a sappy herbal sort of complexity. But a lot of the varieties and wines that we make, we don't want that sort of character. So obviously removing the leaves and the stalks from the bins of fruit raises our quality and makes us make better wines. Any other final words, Tom? I experienced a bit of an adrenaline dump, I think it felt this week, as things slowed down and you sort of go, oh. Oh, what happened? I was sort of missing the sort of racing around constantly, but um, I'm back into it now. So just looking forward to a day off at some stage. Oh, very well-deserved one, no doubt. Tom, thank you so much for the catch-up. A little bit of sad news for the listeners. This is actually our last vintage update with you for 2020, but it's been an absolute pleasure getting week-by-week updates from you, learning so much about sweeper arms, intracellular fermentation, hearing about vintage and all the individual blocks. I think for me, the biggest thing is just learning how much effort and differentiation goes into each of those blocks and what you do with the wine. So really, really interesting. Thank you. Now, um, Harry and I were actually meant to be flying down to interview you at some stage, but we feel like that might have been put on hold. But when everything's back on track after COVID-19, we really look forward to doing a one-on-one interview and hearing a little bit more about you. Great. All good. I've enjoyed the podcast and I look forward to the new ones in 2021. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, (laughs) Tom. Not long to go. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. It's been brilliant. Thanks, Tom.
that was the Ferment Winery Updates. If you have any feedback for us at the Ferment or want to send us some questions to ask our winemaking teams, then send us an email, theferment at brownfamilywinegroup.com.au. So thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard and look out for each other.